Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Good morning and welcome to Horizon West Church Online. I want to welcome you. Thank you for being uh, with us this morning. You may be a little curious as to why I'm wearing a backpack. No, I didn't just forget that I had it on. Um, I want to remind you that we are collecting backpacks for students at Sunridge Middle School. And we want to encourage you even today uh, or in the coming days um, to bring a backpack by. You can bring it to our John Young campus. We're also gathering this evening at 5 o'clock at Harvest Church in Horizon West for a time of worship and prayer, uh, devotional thoughts. And so you can also bring the backpack there, uh, whether you're staying uh, for that service or just to drop it off. We'd love to see you there and, and, and uh, receive that backpack from you. You can get information on our webpage, horizonwestchurch.com. There's a link there for what goes in the backpacks and how to do that, but I want to encourage you to, to participate uh, in the backpack drive with us. Okay, I'm going to take this thing off and start rolling. So I've always been intrigued by a person's last words. I actually think that a person's last words reveal a lot about them. Um, in fact, I've said before that what a person is thinking about at the end of their life often reveals what they valued in their life. I found a few of these last words that I thought were interesting in study this week. Uh, writer Jane Austen's last words were, I want nothing but death. Abolitionist Harriet Tubman, her last words were, swing low, sweet chariot. The British Prime Minister Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm bored of it all. And fascinating to me, singer Whitney Houston, her last words were, I'm going to go and see Jesus. Today, we come to the very last words, at least the last recorded words, of the Apostle Peter, the one who had walked on water, at least for a little bit, uh, the one whom Jesus named the rock, the one who would ultimately give his life for the cause of Christ. These are going to be the last recorded words of the Apostle Peter for the first century church and every bit as much for us in the 21st century. This is 2 Peter 3. Verses 14 to 18. Let me read that passage for us. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What Peter is going to leave us with in the closing words of his second and final epistle to the church is going to be uh, three lifestyle patterns that believers must embrace to live the way that Christ has called us to live. The, the first I see in the passage is this, that we are called to embrace the intentional life, the intentional life. Look again at verse 14 of 2 Peter 3. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these or for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Have you ever noticed in your yard that weeds flourish without any attention? 
But flowers take care, attention, and intentionality to grow. See, because healthy things grow and growth requires care and attention. This is true of the natural world. This is true of our physical bodies. This is true of our finances. This is true of relationships. Healthy things grow and growth requires intentionality, care. The, the word that is translated in the English Standard Version in the English Bibles is diligent. Verse 14, diligent. It's the same Greek word that is alternately translated as study or labor or endeavor. The idea is give your full attention or intention to a particular thing. And what are we as believers to put our attention and intention towards? Well, Peter's going to basically highlight two things in in those first verses. First is purity. Purity. Uh, the believer in Christ should be intentional to have a lifestyle of purity. Peter uses the words without spot or blemish. This could recall for us the Old Testament sacrificial system. God called the, uh, the Israelites to when they made an animal sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, to offer a lamb, a goat, whatever that might be, without spot or blemish. It had to be the best that they had, not something that was, was crippled, something that was uh, 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 defiled, something that was blemished, but something that was good and whole and perfect. But in the New Testament, this idea of spotlessness or uh, unblemished living has a different twist or a different connotation. Not about making a blood sacrifice, that has already happened in Jesus The writer of Hebrews is going to tell us in chapter 9 that Jesus died once for all. There is no more need for blood sacrifice. That was fulfilled in Christ. So I believe when Peter is talking about being uh, pure and being spotless and without blemish, he's actually using a different imagery. Perhaps he's thinking of the imagery of a bride preparing for her wedding day. This would be the concept that Paul picks up on in Ephesians 5 verse 27 where he writes this, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. You see the parallel there, don't you? And see, I love this because it's the same two words that Peter uses, without spot, without blemish. Because we are no longer uh, like animals climbing up on an altar to be sacrificed. We, We know that Christ has fulfilled the judgment of God in his own death on our behalf. We're actually a lot more like a bride preparing for her wedding day. I found this picture of Nikki, and I'll let you take a look at it. And, and if you see what I see, you see how beautiful she looks. This was our wedding day just over 10 years ago. And I can tell you that, that a lot of time, a lot of intention, a lot of attention went into, on Nikki's part, being ready for that day. Looking as beautiful as she could possibly look on that day. And she did look beautiful. Because the truth is, a bride will go to great lengths. They'll spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy getting themselves ready so that on their wedding day, they can wow the man that they love. It is their joy to present themselves in this way. So should it be for us as we look forward to the day that we see our Savior. By the way, Scripture is not ambiguous about God's standards, and they haven't changed uh, in, the t- in the 2,000 years since the Scripture was completed. Uh, God's standards don't change. They don't bend uh, to fit our culture. Uh, 
And the gravitational pull of culture is always going to be toward impurity and perversion. It takes attention. It takes intention on the part of Christians to swim upstream, to swim against the current. And this is going to become less and less popular uh, the longer we go in life as our generation gets more and more evil. We're going to have to choose to put our intention toward purity. The other one that Peter highlights here is the word peace. And I believe as far as our world is from God's standards on purity, it is every bit as far off the mark when it comes to the issue of peace. Did you know that that there are presently in the world 13 wars going on with at least a thousand casualties um, having taken place in those wars? These 13 wars involve more than 30 nations, including our own. And even where nations are not at war, you would be hard pressed to find anything resembling biblical peace. What you find instead is corruption, scandals, violence, uh, gang activity, crime. Uh, We are so far off the mark in our world when it comes to the idea of biblical peace, the shalom concept of the Old Testament. So the question for us becomes, how do we live as people of peace in a world of conflict? Last week or so, I've been meditating on Psalm chapter 23, and each day I've taken one line from that psalm. And and so one of the first days, the line that I was focusing on or meditating on throughout the day was the words, he leads me beside quiet waters. And I don't know for you, but I can say for me and probably for many of us, it has been anything but quiet waters for the last several months. Uh, 2020 has been rocky waters. It's been rough rapids. And so the question becomes, how do, I, how do I live as a person of quiet waters in my soul, in my spirit, when there's raging rivers around me? Is that even possible? This is what Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a good chance you've heard that verse before, but what I want to pay attention to, I want to get your focus on is the words, which passes understanding. In other words, Paul is talking about the peace of God being ours in moments where that peace seems so unlikely. It's not the peace of God when, when the sun is shining and the birds are singing and, and everything is at rest and everything is well in our relationships and our finances. No, Paul's saying this peace of God, it actually goes beyond explanation. It goes beyond understanding, but it is the thing that's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, I think that the peace of God is all the more remarkable in the middle of conflict. You show me a person who can remain at peace and and who can exude a sense of calm assurance when the world around them is going crazy, and I'll show you a person who understands the peace of God and who possesses it. Both of these qualities, purity and peace, Peter's going to root as this is our intention in light of Christ's return. Verse 14 again says, since you are waiting for this or these things. These referring back with this, Peter's referring back to the coming judgment or justice of God. He's saying, since you're waiting for that day to come, since you know that day is coming, Christ will return. Do this, live with intentionality and be intentional to practice purity and to pursue peace. But I will say this, 
Intentionality is not enough to get you all the way there. Uh, Someone has said it this way, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So we got to get beyond just the intentional life. Number two is this, Peter's going to focus us on the instructed life. So first, the intentional life, and second, the instructed life. It was the philosopher Socrates who said, the unexamined life is not worth living. I had a college professor, a Bible professor, uh, when I was in school, who had a little notepad uh, on his desk or, or on his wall, and it said, the unexamined faith is not worth having. And what he was calling us as students to was, was critical examination, to be instructed in the word of God, not to have a faith that was emotional and whimsical and, and blown here and there, as James describes in chapter one of, of his letter. But he was saying a faith that's examined, a faith that, that submits itself to the instruction of God. Here's what Peter says in verses 15 to 17. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these things. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. This is an interesting thing that Peter does here because he's going to make a rare reference to another New Testament writer, the Apostle Paul, and notice that he refers to Paul's writings as what? He calls them scripture in verse 16. And Peter's going to say these scriptures, these teachings of Paul, there are some things in them that are difficult to understand. I appreciate this about Peter because he's right, right? Some of what Paul writes, it's like, man, it's hard to understand. In fact, having taken Greek, I will tell you this, Peter is really hard to read in Greek, uh, but for those who are smart enough to translate that Greek to English, it's pretty clear. Paul's the opposite. Paul's Greek is really, really good. It's just that the things he's talking about when they translate to English, they can be really hard to understand, right? But Peter says some people use that as a loophole to twist the words of Paul to make them say something that Paul had no intention ever of saying. Commentators would tell you that most likely the original attacks on Paul's writing centered around his use of grace, his his just love for the grace of God, how much he talked about the, the liberating grace of God. And there were some who came behind Paul and they said, look, Paul is giving you a license to do evil. In fact, Paul addressed that very concern. He he said, do not use the freedom of Christ as a way to cover up sin in your life. So Paul wasn't doing that, but they were twisting his words to say, look, Paul's saying you can do whatever you want because God's grace is big enough. Not what Paul was saying. But what's interesting is in the 21st century, the attack has actually shifted to the exact opposite thing. In modern times, Paul isn't attacked so much for his emphasis on grace as he originally was. What Paul's attacked for more now is being viewed as legalistic. It's his teachings on righteousness when it comes to things like sexuality or marriage or 
raising children, that he's going to focus us on God's grace manifesting itself as righteousness and people will beat him up today for being legalistic, which again is a twisting of Paul's words. And so one of the ways this manifests itself, and I want to make you aware of this in case you encounter it, this idea is out there. And it's the idea that Paul's teachings and Jesus' teachings are really uh, contrary to each other, or they really don't run on the same track. You know, like Jesus is all about love and kindness, and Paul's like hard and, and narrow. And so they would divorce the, the ideas of Paul, the teachings of Paul and the teachings of Jesus, and, and see them as two different things. And then you'll have people saying things like this, well, I just try to live by the words of Jesus, which sounds really good. The problem is, it negates other parts of scripture that are equally inspired by God. And to be honest with you, I think there's actually two problems when people say, I just try to, I'm just trying to live by the words of Jesus. One is, quite frankly, they don't know what Jesus actually said, <laughs> right? Like Jesus said some really, really hard things. And when people are saying that, they're usually picking two or three things like love your neighbor as yourself or don't cast judgment. And they're going, I just try to live by Jesus. So one of the problems is they don't really know what they mean when they say that. The second problem is that Paul, who's being accused of being different then or antagonistic to the teachings of Jesus, Paul saw himself as building on the foundation that Jesus had laid. He, he, He did not see himself as doing anything outside of that or creating a new way. He was trying to clarify and explain how to live out the way of Jesus in the context of the various places where he was writing. And it's not just Paul that saw himself this way. What I get out of 2 Peter 3, 15 to 17 is that Peter is saying, listen, Paul's writings are scripture. They are inspired by God. And who knew Jesus better than Peter, right? I mean, Peter is the one who's with Jesus all the way. He's one of the three closest in the inner circle of Jesus. Peter saw things that almost no one else in human history saw with Jesus. And Peter's going to say, listen, the things Paul's saying, they're true. They echo the teachings and the way of Christ. Don't let somebody twist you up and make you think that Paul is taking you somewhere new or different from the foundation Jesus already laid. Friends, this is honestly why biblical instruction, what we might call the whole council of scripture, is so important. It is so important. There, there is so much in the pages of this book. And, and we, we're, we're in a soundbite culture. We're in a tweet culture, a meme culture, where you can pull something out and say, oh, look what Jesus said, or look what Paul said. But God had a whole lot to say. And we got to get better at being instructed in the word of God. I would say it like this. Some of you God may be stirring in you or will begin to stir in you that you need to pursue a degree in theology. You may not even intend to become a pastor or something like that, but you just know, man, there's a hunger for the word of God or or there's a need to to better understand and be instructed in the word of God. Go for it. We've got members at our Horizon West campus that are currently enrolled in seminary level classes. We have others who have seminary degrees and they're not on our pastoral team. They just take seriously the need to be instructed in the word of God. Well, maybe you can't pursue a degree or that's not in your future, but you could still take a theology class. 
Sign up online. There's several great seminaries that you can access all over the country from your own computer. We encourage you. I want to encourage you to take a class. If you can't take a class, enroll in something like Bible Study Fellowship, where you can begin to to learn and be instructed and and further. And, And all of us, if not Bible Study Fellowship, all of us should be instructing ourselves in Scripture by reading it and by studying it regularly. This is exactly what we're called to in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That first phrase there, do your best, in the NIV that word is study. Guess what? It's the same word that Peter uses in 2 Peter 3.14 where he says be diligent. It's the same thing. Study. Be intentional, labor to be instructed in the word of God in such a way that you live it outright and you don't need to be ashamed of your theology or your practice. This is where the intentional life and the instructed life intersect. When we apply 2 Timothy 2.15, we're intersecting the instructed life and the intentional life in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. I need to say this, intentionality is living our, uh, rather intentionality in, in living our faith is worthless if it's not married with instruction in the word of God. And instruction in the word of God is worthless if it's not married to an intentionality in living it out our faith. See, you, you can have one or the other, but what you need is both, the intentional life married to the instructed Life And when those things are joined, when those ways of living are joined, it naturally leads to this third lifestyle pattern that Peter is going to give us, which is the increasing life. Final verse of 2 Peter 3.18, this is what it says. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And at this point, we come full circle in this second and final letter of Peter. Because this is really where Peter started out. This idea of the increasing life, this is where Peter began and this is where he's going to end. Look again with me at chapter one, verses five through eight, that says this. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." See, Peter's goal all along in the writing of this letter was that those who receive it, yes, in the first century, but even to us in the 21st century, that all who receive it would be led to a place of an increasing life, a life of growth, a life of coming to maturity, a life of abundance in Christ. The goal of our faith is not only pure motives or or, or greater knowledge. The goal of our faith is to increase in the likeness of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is only one way that can happen. We've got to exercise our faith. We've got to practice it. We've got to live it. It can't just be a, a right intention. It can't just be good instruction. It must play itself out in living the increased and the increasing life. This morning, I was 
exercising at the gym and I was driving home and I, I don't know if this is how this normally works, but oftentimes if I'm doing something or, or just have been doing it, I'll notice other people doing it, right? So like when I'm driving home from the gym, I'm like, man, all these people are out, they're running, they're sweating, they got their earbuds in and they're working. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like I love to see us as a society getting healthier and, and being more conscious of, you know, stewarding our bodies in that way. That's all great and that's all really good. But there are other people who, who have set goals to exercise. They might've even read books about exercise, uh, but they're not outside at six o'clock in the morning or seven or really any time of the day actually exercising. See, they've been instructed in exercise. They have the intention to exercise, but the reality is they're not yet doing it. And if you want to increase your strength, if you want, or maybe you want to decrease your waistband, it could work either way. The only way to do that is to exercise. I would wonder if you've ever felt this, and I know that I have. Have you ever felt like there's Christians who maybe have something that you don't have? Uh, Maybe this is like a famous Christian or it's somebody that you know personally, but you're like, man, that person just seems to have a faith that I just can't have, or they just have an understanding of God, or or they're just, they have such a wisdom that it feels inaccessible. It feels like you can't grasp it. Some of these people exist in our own church, and at the risk of embarrassing them, I, I feel like this about people like Barbara Pennington or Jefferson Carmo or Beverly Brown or Jimmy and Susie Hayes, people that are quite a bit older than me in the faith, and they just demonstrate this incredible, increasing life where you just know they walk with God and they experience his power. But I want to caution you with something. When we look at people like that in the faith, or, or maybe it's, again, somebody who, who's on a, a, a wider platform, that instinct to go, man, I wish I could have what they have, Peter would dismantle that idea. Because Peter said, again, going back to the beginning of his letter, God's divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. I want to say it again. God's divine power in us has granted us everything we need for life and for godliness. So in other words, these special Christians are nothing more than people who have married intentional practice with instruction in God's word, which has caused a gradual but consistent increase in their spiritual life over time. There's no other way to it. There's no other way to it. And the result in their life and what the result can be in our life as we seek God in this way is that God is glorified Christ is magnified. The Holy Spirit is amplified in and through you. And as Christ is lifted up, as Christ is increased in your life, others are drawn to him. Others are brought into the faith community, into the kingdom of God. See, this is God's desire for his people. That our lives would increase in such a way with the glory of God, not our ambitions, Not our bank accounts, but the glory of God, the magnificence of Christ in us, what would increase in such a way that people are drawn to him. That people who were unbelievers become believers. People who were mockers of God become worshipers of God. This is God's desire. When I was in high school, I laid hold of a verse. It's actually two verses, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21 that speak to this idea of the increasing life. And my prayer from that time as a 16-year-old has been that this truth would be revealed in my life. This is what it says, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. 
Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I wonder if that is your heart's desire, if that is your prayer this morning, to say, God, would you do immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine? Would you increase in my life in such a way that you are glorified and magnified like never before? Would you say, like John the Baptist said in John 3, I must decrease, he must increase. Would you say like Paul in Galatians 2, 20, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And see, as we day by day put one foot in front of the other, one more study of the word of God, one more verse memorized, one more time in prayer and meditation, one more act of obedience, that over time we could look back and say, wow, look at the increase of faith that God has given me. Look at the increase of witness and opportunity that God has given me to his glory. So this is the question that I want to end with this morning for you to wrestle with in your own life. If you committed yourself to the increasing life, to radically following Jesus, what could be possible in six months? What could be possible in one year, in three years, or in your lifetime? We got to stop thinking small. We got to stop thinking about the temporal earthly things only, things that aren't going to last beyond us and start thinking bigger about the increase that God wants to produce in our life. What could be possible in your lifetime as you seek God in this way? Well, friends, I want to, again, as we close, invite you this evening to join us at Harvest Church at five o'clock. We're going to worship together. We're going to have that time. Um, It's going to be a great time to be together in person. Um, You can also, if you're not ready to do that, but you've got a backpack to drop, I want to encourage you to do that and drop that off. Um, That's going to be a great time as well. In just a second, we're going to close with a song called Cornerstone. Um, And this is just a beautiful uh, song of declaration that Christ, Jesus, is our cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of the intentional life, the instructed life, the increasing life. It is all about him. So I encourage you to sing with us. Let's pray and let's close in that way. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us, God. We thank you for the giving of the Holy Spirit who enables us to to live the increasing life. God, not increasing our own glory, not increasing our own ambitions, but really increasing the good news and the light of the gospel in us. Because God, our desire and your desire for us is that we live in such a way that people are drawn to faith and drawn to you. That, that their eternal trajectory would change from your judgment and wrath to your mercy, your forgiveness, and eternal life. God, we love you. We thank you for the cornerstone who is Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.